So I think there's a fundamental problem with Deadlock. It's bad. <laughs> I don't actually don't think it's bad. It's, but well, I, I I was as I was sitting down to to get ready to to record this podcast this week. I opened my notes and I saw the Deadlock notes and I did not remember what the episode was about until I looked at my notes. In a lot of ways, it's I think we have enough experience with Voyager and Voyager has enough episodes to say that Deadlock is an extraordinarily generic Voyager episode. Like if you wanted to make the most by the numbers Voyager thing, I think Deadlock would be it. It has... So many of its favorite – we were joking that the first couple episodes were about, oh, there's something to do with time travel that they caused themselves. And this is yet another example of they're stuck in a situation they caused themselves and there's weird dimensional stuff and they've got to fix it. I, I, I guess in terms of – in terms of plot, it was a very boring plot and even though interesting things theoretically are happening, the bit with the baby, uh, Janeway meeting herself – um. It just felt very – this is a filler episode, and I did, I think it could have been much better. Yeah, I mean I agree with you. I, I definitely don't think this is a, a classic episode of, of Star Trek or, or even Star Trek Voyager. And you know, at a certain point, I think we will have to start grappling with, with what you think about Star Trek Voyager as a whole. Perhaps we're not there yet. Perhaps we can do the, have that conversation in, in a couple weeks when we get to the, the second series, uh, second season finale. But in, in terms of this episode particularly, I, I think it's interesting to recognize that, A, it's written by Brian and Braga, and, yeah. you know, he's famous for this kind of thing. He, he, we've talked enough about him at this point during TNG to, to know that. Uh, and also, I think it's interesting because it kind of points the way forward for the types of stories that, that Voyager is, is more known for telling, actually. Um, you know, one of the things about Star Trek Voyager in general, I think, is that for the most part, it privileges plot over character. And it it's much more willing to do kind of weird plotting or even format stuff that I don't think TNG or DS9 were necessarily interested in doing. And, of course, that, that isn't always successful and has diminishing returns. Yeah. But I, I think this episode is a, a perfect example of the evolution of the show because, I don't know, I think that having Harry Kim and... Yeah. Ensign Wildman's baby be transferred over to another starship Voyager that's not their own and, you know, have them live like that is a very strange choice. And it's yeah. not necessarily the type of choice that TNG would have made. Uh, no, I mean, this this reminds me in some ways of the whole Thomas of the whole Thomas Riker scenario, which the decision was figured out how both of them could end up living happily. Right. Um until the events in DS9, but that's another story. Um, right, and and there had been discussions amongst the writing staff yeah. of TNG about possibly killing Commander Raker and having Thomas Raker take over, and they ultimately decided not to do that. Yeah, now I feel like this is a making that, but with, the, with fewer stakes. I mean, Thomas Riker was a very different person from William Riker at that point. The two Harry Kims are essentially the same person. Um yeah, and, they have maybe like six hours of yeah. different experiences. Yeah, exactly. There, there, there isn't anything. You know, this Harry Kim is a little more shaken, but and I mean, I think it is funny how they keep giving Harry Kim these weird situations. I mean, he's died and come back to life. He had that experience with San Francisco, where the alternate version of his reality, and now this. I mean, his 
So yeah. so is he is he the chief O'Brien of Voyager? <laughs> I think in a lot of ways he is the chief O'Brien. He is the guy that we just like and he's just trying to do a good job and you know he's very friendly and sweet and he'll help out a pal at any time of need and which just the universe is fucking with him but yeah harry kim's existence is very odd at this point well right i mean i don't think that that we know enough about ensign kim obviously i mean he's not a very well-defined character at this point and i i think that this episode is a perfect example of that where i don't know what what does he I don't think there's any real indication that at the end of this episode, this is ever going to be brought up again. Now, a, no. I don't think that's necessarily a problem because, like he said at the end of the episode, it's a little strange, but essentially it is his Voyager, so he'll just get used to it. I wonder, though, about what you think about the way that this episode is structured. And and what I mean by that is, you know, was it... I think that the other the other odd choice that the episode makes, and I think it actually is a good choice, is it makes the the terribly beat up Voyager the one that becomes the yeah. only one that survives. And I think it's an interesting choice, but I also think it's telegraphed in the way in which this episode is structured because that is the Voyager that we follow for the first fifteen minutes yeah. of the episode. Okay. So that is kind of the uh, that is the Voyager that is the quote unquote real Voyager or is going to become the real Voyager. So I don't necessarily have a have a problem with that, and I think it's actually kind of an interesting choice for this episode to make. Yeah, and it's yet another example of how fragile this ship is. I mean, they can't even have... If you have two versions of the ship, one of which has been partially destroyed and one of which is okay, of fucking course it's going to be the partially destroyed one. Voyager has the worst luck. Voyager will not have a... You know, they don't even get that little bit of advantage in this situation. Again, most of the situations that Voyager finds itself in, it leaves a little worse. It does leave a little worse, and I think that that it's interesting that the ship is so beat up in this episode, though. I mean, one of the criticisms of Voyager, which I think is is probably going to become more apparent as the show goes on, is that it's not quote-unquote realistic. It's not really interested in showing the kind of damage to the ship that would actually happen. And, you know, the ship, I mean, let's be honest, the ship is absolutely trashed in this episode. And and by the end of it, you know, we see, you know, an extra putting up another panel on the wall, but for the most part, it looks fine. And, you know, in the next episode, the bridge looks fine. I mean, this so, is like video game style stuff to me. You know, you, you just go into a spaceship and press X and you sell off a bunch of scrap credits and it's fixed again. You know, the, the, it, 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 it it's not realistic, but at the same time, it's a convention that needs to exist for the story and, and one that doesn't really bother me in a way. Yeah, it doesn't really bother me either. I think that that looking at this show and wanting it to be sort of a Battlestar Galactica is mm. that's not what this is going to be. And you know, that's not really something that that I don't think Star Trek is or, or this version of Star Trek is even necessarily would be very good at telling that kind of story. Um and, and I'm, so well, I was going to say, I mean, even in emotional ter- in terms of physical terms, the injuries that these people have had, even assuming that we have a holographic doctor who knows every medical technique, injuries, injuries do pile up in the body. And these people have had so many injuries at this point. The mental trauma that has happened over the past year in these people's lives, this, again, Harry Kim has had three very weird shakeups to his very existence he wouldn't he would he would be a fucking wreck at this point this ship would be desperate and horrifying it I, I, but for the purposes of 
telling the story it wants to tell. Voyager is a group of people who are able to heal this well. We we accept this as part of it being television, I guess. I, I guess so, yeah. And I, I think that in, in general, you know, generally speaking, the the characters not being that affected by what's going on about this is, is okay. I yeah. mean, certainly this is a very different style of TV than people like now, but... I don't know. I mean, maybe it is time to have that conversation because, well, I, I mean, what, what, how I, you know, how I generally feel about Star Trek Voyager, and I think Deadlock is a perfect example of it, is this is very competently done Star Trek that is fundamentally like not really doing anything new or interesting. It just kind of exists. And is that enough? I don't know. I think it's enough if you consider that DS9 was going on at the time, and that was the quote-unquote deeper Star Trek show. Um, if Voyager wanted to do... If Voyager saw original series and Next Generation as baseline Star Trek, baseline just it's... As we say with the X-Files a lot, it's Friday night, and I want to watch a... I want to watch a, a Star Trek for the night. I think Voyager is fine. I think the problem becomes... Will will become when DS Nine goes off the air, and we don't have that uh, deeper take on the themes of it. I don't know where Voyager will be at that point. Well, we'll find out. But I, I, I yeah, and I think that's probably about all we can say about it right now because you still haven't seen the show go through one of its strange transitions. Yeah, but, which you will see soon because this is getting towards the yeah. end of the Michael Pillar era. Jerry Taylor will take over as showrunner for seasons three and four, so we'll see how the show goes from there. But yeah, I don't know. I think that, that again, like, I don't necessarily think this is a bad episode. No. I mean, in terms of a Brian and Braga weird episode that is very plot heavy, it moves along nicely. I wasn't really bored. I was probably more bored during Innocence, but we'll talk about <laughs> that in a few minutes. And I, I think that, yeah, I don't know that, I don't know that Brian and Braga has a good handle on these characters, though. And I, it, primarily what I'm thinking about is that scene in the cold, or that line in the cold open that Chakotay has where he says that his father had a line um, that was, home is where you happen to be, which <laughs> is exactly not what his father would ever say. Yeah. Like, his father was very much a person that believed that uh, home was a very, very integral part of your being. And he would not ever say that. And and I think that that's interesting to me because it shows that hmm. Brian and Braga wasn't really paying attention to what had been established character-wise in previous episodes. Yeah. I mean, wh- one of the things that I noted was that Janeway calls herself Captain a lot. And the discussion, I think, from the very first episode, you know, don't ever call me ma'am and only call me Captain when basically the shits hit the fan – Although I don't know if I I don't know if that's intended to be a scene be a an acknowledgement that Janeway meeting herself and they are in this terrible situation is about as shit hit the fan as you can do and the two of them are you know admitting as much to each other or I I I, I or if it's just how to show a certain sense of formalism I don't know I didn't get either from the episode it just kind of was there but. Oh, yeah, that was my question that, that you're referring to when Captain J- the two Captain Janeways are yeah. talking to each other. They call themselves Captain. Yeah, I mean, yeah, is it just I, I she's be, you know, is it just almost a amusing character note that she's giving herself that respect? Uh, or is, again, is it an acknowledgement between the two of them of the direness of their situation? 
I think it's probably both of those things. Yeah, okay. you know, I, I, I don't I don't think that it would you know Ca- Captain Janeway is not the kind of person that thinks it's appropriate to call someone by their first name in a, in a critical situation. So <laughs> yeah, even though it is herself for all intents and purposes, she is still going to call herself Captain. And I think that that and, makes sense. I mean, that makes sense yeah. for the character as established so far, I think. She also would realize that somebody calling her Catherine would be a little too brash about that. You know, that would be inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that, I mean, I don't know, because, again, like, aside from, from that, there's really not much character stuff in this episode. It's all very plot-heavy. It's all very focused on moving the plot along. You know, there is a little bit of stuff about Ensign Wildman and, and the baby and the baby yeah. dying. And, you know, it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. You killed a baby. But at the end they... of the episode, of course, the baby is alive. This isn't a—Voyager likes to try and have its cake and eat it, too. So this episode gives us the drama of Voyager being destroyed. And I have a feeling we will see Voyager get destroyed many more times over the course of the series. Um, you, you would be not incorrect about yeah, that. Yeah, um, which is going to give us diminishing returns every time. I mean, which is the original series movie where the Enterprise first gets destroyed? Star Trek 3. Yeah, I mean, that's a horrifying moment, and we still have, um, I, I mean, that that is up there with the death of Spock in terms of emotional resonances in the franchise. Um, we see the, the TNG Enterprise get destroyed in Generations, and again, it's a horrible moment, but I feel like we've already seen so many horrible things happen to Voyager that I don't worry about the ship anymore. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I mean, Voyager is not going to be destroyed. There's, there's no indication that that's ever going to happen. I mean, yeah, they're they're able to fix the ship very quickly. But well, more I, importantly, they also want to give us the drama of the baby dies while still not actually killing the baby because number one, that torpedoes all of the thematic work that this baby has been, uh, you know, receiving, and it I think would be a little too dark for the series. Yes and no. I, I I think the show could have gotten away with killing Ensign Wildman Baby, although primarily I think that because the show is not really set up for, you know, longer arc storytelling. So having the baby just disappear and, you know, no, we'll probably mean, never see Ensign Wildman again. That's what I assumed that they were going to do. I mean, <laughs> I figured that. Oh, no. Be- oh, no. Uh, that is no. This, this child is going to grow up. Yep. Ah, yeah. The baby doesn't disappear. Don't worry. Okay. I figured um, they were going to do what they did with Alexander, pretty much. Well, Alexander never disappeared. Um, Worf really wanted him to, though. <laughs> yeah, Ensign Wildman is a much better parent than than Worf is for sure. But but yeah, I think that 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 could have been done. Yeah, but, no. It's... But what does that really mean for the show, though? Right? Like, I don't I don't know that it would really be that. I, what would that do for the yeah. show to kill a baby? Like, and, and, I don't know that that would be a good way for the show to go necessarily. And again, especially because they've been talking about, you know, this baby represents a sea change. You know, this baby is going to be raised on this ship. And if you kill the baby off now, well, one of the points that they made with her getting pregnant in the first place is that this is an inevitability that they're going to have to deal with. She is just the first pregnancy on Voyager. They... Yeah, this is this is kind of a demonstration to them that there will be a second and a third, and this is going, you know, this will happen over the course of seventy five years, and so, you know, maybe we won't get another baby within the time of the series, and obviously the ship will come home in the end, but 
assume the 75 years they need to make a generation ship, this will happen again. So it feels like delaying the inevitable for the sake of some cheap drama. Sure, yeah. And I, I think similarly, that's kind of how I feel about the, the quote-unquote destruction of Voyager, at least the trashing of Voyager, because what what does that really get us? I mean, it's a, it's a cathartic experience and seeing the ship get destroyed, and it's very uh, uh, dramatic and action-packed and all those kind of things. And, you know, Voyager, for whatever else it is, is a show that is much more interested in yeah. action-adventure than TNG or, or DS9 are. But, but at the end of the day, the ship is fine. Yeah. And so we get the cathartic experience of seeing Voyager get trashed, but but it's not anything that is really giving us any inf- new information. And, you know, I don't know that that, what, what, what does that really get us? I mean, it doesn't really end up anywhere that if Voyager was not trashed, right? Like, it's it's shocking on a level of, wow, look at this. The, the, the nice Voyager is actually the one that is being self-destructed because the Vidians captured it and they don't know the trashed Voyager is there. Okay, that's an interesting idea, but that's as far as it goes. There's, yeah. there's a there's a shallowness at the core of this episode that I find troubling. Yeah, because again, this isn't real. This is an illusion in its own way. This is a duplicate, and in a way, the destruction of it is a writing of the universe. Right, but 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 think about an episode like Parallels from TNG, right, where Worf was going through these mm-hmm. parallel universes, and you know. We weren't really ever going to have Worf stuck on the universe where the Borg had taken over. But we knew Worf as a character. We had spent seven years with him. You know, I'm not a big Worf fan. But at the end of the day, that episode was grounded in in Worf as a character and what we knew about all of the other characters. And so when he was in these other universes and it slowly spiraled out and these characters got weirder and weirder and diff- more different and more different, we yeah. noticed it. Whereas... You know, and that was an interesting episode. It was a good plot, but it also had some character stuff in it. And this episode, does it really matter? Like the, who? Like there's no indication here that that. Like you're right. Like the the, the two Voyager, the two Voyager crews are pretty much the same because they only are separated out by like six hours of experiences. But I don't know that there is an interest in what these character how these characters are living through this experience it's just a comic book version of it and yeah it's entertaining and it's fine but it's not anything that i ever really want to revisit yeah no again this was a uh, i wouldn't say this was a bad episode but it just wasn't a good episode and it wasn't an interesting episode and i'm almost disappointed that the culmination of the she's having a baby arc is in this episode um, maybe it would have been nicer to have it in a different one. I don't know. It's like I said, the, I mean, I'm not particularly interested in babies, so no, no, but again, I, I, I'm interested in, again, what this baby represents to the crew of Voyager and what the, you know, I, I don't really care about what the ensign's diaper changing rituals are going to be or anything like that. But in terms of this, rep- again, this represent a ch- represents a change of era, this is a harbinger of things that are to come, and this is something that we have to make a lot of accommodations and changes for. And we have to, you know, both physically and then in terms of what this means for the way we are living our lives now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I will play devil's advocate a little bit and say that I think that there there might be more of a thematic resonance with the way in which the the baby gets transferred over to yeah. the other Voyager and represents like a rebirth and a, and a return to some sort of normalcy, um, you know, an, an optimism for the future. I mean, it, it is the case that having the baby come back is going to be a 
uh, an uplift for yeah. certainly Anson Wildman, certainly for the doctor, certainly for Cass, but I, but I think for everybody else. And, and, you know, the, the, the parts of the episode that really work for me are like, like the cold open I really liked where yeah. everybody on the bridge is like, when's the baby coming? You know, and, and that is, is, that speaks to me because that is a way in which Voyager is very different from, the Enterprise, for instance, right? Like babies were born on the Enterprise, but I don't think that everyone on the bridge was biting their nails waiting for Dr. Crusher to call up to the bridge and say, hey, the baby's okay, right? Yeah. Like, Because that was not important to them in the same way that it is for Voyager. Voyager is a ship of, of you know, Voyager is a ship that runs on on hope necess- yeah. like by necessity. And so that is, the, you know, that is the way in which this show differentiates itself from other Star Treks, and I wish this episode had had more of that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's it. Maybe maybe it could have been a symbol in a stronger episode, or the episode itself could have had a little more weight to it. But as it was, it was a fine, it was a fine popcorn episode. Now, uh, the last thing I'll say about the episode before we move on to Innocence is, what what do you make of, of the, like revelation in this episode that they are like in the vidian system or something well is my, that is that something that interests you my question is they had a vidian on their ship that was very friendly to them and that they you know was very helpful she couldn't they, they seem to be taken by surprise that they're in vidian space couldn't she have given them a heads up and they could have said you know yeah we should probably avoid that sector because we really and the vidians and us don't really get along yeah that's, I guess, I, my reaction I'm, I'm, to that. I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, hey, don't go this way because you're going to be captured by a Davidian ship full of 350 of my people that are going to take all your organs. Maybe don't go that way. It would be a fine thing to do. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. In the same way, like, hey, maybe don't walk down that alley late at night. That's not a good place to be. Um, yes. Yes, I think that is true. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we can say for Deadlock. Let's move on to Innocence, which... I think it's a much more representative episode of Voyager than Deadlock oh, is no. in, in certain respects, but but it's also it's also got some troubling implications for Voyager's storytelling that I'm not sure are a good thing. So I guess my question is uh, because I was taken from left field by the revelation at the end oh these are really just old people and you know this is planet orc and we uh age backwards and was that at all foreshadowed i don't think so i mean i i I guess just and at the very end she says to tuvok something like well you know it's a very holy thing to be the guardian of a child. And, but they're not children. You said five minutes ago, they're not children. Right. And I, I think that, that I don't know how much I want to grapple with the revelation that <laughs> they age backwards because fundamentally it is stupid. Yeah, yeah but um, you know, I'll, 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 I'll allow it. That's fine. It's weird alien biology. Okay. But it, it is the case where you look at it and you say this wasn't set up very well, and and as I understand that it, it was it was put in the script very late that they needed some sort of twist, yeah, and and this was the twist they hit upon, and you know if you I think if you think about it for more than two minutes it falls yeah. apart, but in terms of oh my god these aren't children at all these are old people like oh okay fine that that's fine then, um but, but yeah you're right like they do they do say things earlier in the episode that don't really jive with what the episode where the episode goes and fundamentally these don't 
act like old people. And, yeah, and, well, they they return to a state of innocence. I mean, her whole monologue at the end, well, they forget everything. You know, it just seems like that was literally, you know, somebody in the writer's room was like, well, this doesn't make sense. And this was like, all right, we need, an, we need a justification. Right. And then they don't, they don't forget everything because the, the little girl at the very end of the episode says to Tuvok that Tuvok reminds her of a grandson. So... <sighs> I don't know. Like it just—it feels to me like the show was 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 trying to have its cake and eat it too with this episode, yeah. where you know all the children are acting like children. There's no indication that they're not actually children. They're actually 96 years old or whatever. They they don't say anything that indicates that they have been alive for that long. They don't do anything that indicates that they've yeah. been alive that long. It's it's just oh here's a weird twist and. I don't know. I mean, I think that's probably the least interesting part of the episode, frankly. Yeah. Um, I, I do like Tuvok in the episode quite a bit, and I yeah. think that, that seeing Tuvok as a parent is interesting. But but he's also not a parent because these aren't children. And Yeah, and, and then suddenly it becomes a lot creepier for Tuvok, like, to... I mean, the scene where he picks up the one kid and he's like, just, you sit over there, like... And then, he, I mean, you re, you have to review that scene as he's picking up an old man. That's kind of creepy. And, you know, just – and you can picture Tuvok being a little disturbed by, you know, just that paradigm shift. Um, and, I, and I do think that, you know, this episode could have said something about the ways in which yeah. people infantilize elderly people, right? And, and treat them like children, talk to them like children uh, – and those kinds of things. I mean, anybody that's ever yeah. been to a nursing home will, will know exactly what I'm talking about. And, you know, I, I have a, a great aunt that's in a nursing home that's turning 90 in, in a couple weeks. Um, you know, I generally try not to talk to her like she's yeah. a child because I don't want to be talked to like that when I'm 90 years old. Um, but But it is the case that this episode doesn't. That's not what this episode was interested in. And so yeah. it just comes across as here's a wacky twist that we have at the end of the episode that doesn't make any sense with what we saw before it. But hey, whatever. It's Star Trek. And it's a twist that depends on the alien species being total dicks. I mean, these are these are people that, you know, in talking to Janeway, if, if Janeway doesn't quite follow their same religious practices, they certainly have had a lot of mo- have a lot of moments of philosophical understanding between them you know when uh, jane was saying oh you know we have some cultures who believe the world is an illusion they can at least uh, they, they at, and and as the end of the episode proves you know janeway and everybody is receptive to understanding what's going on it is they are able to explain this in this you know nice star trek moment of diplomacy but the entire time they're like no we can't tell you get out of here you know they could simply say listen this is a place where towards the end of our lives people go and they pass away in a place of extreme pristine beauty and there was a shuttle crash on there. We don't want you disturbing it because of its sanctuary nature. Right. That, yeah, I think that, yeah. That is, that, you know, the, uh, uh, for all of the we don't like outsiders that they say, I mean, that, that, uh, that they, didn't, they didn't sell that enough to make it seem like that explanation which is vague and which is diplomatic and polite in a lot of ways, would, you know, would not be understood. I don't know. Uh, but, but like, yeah, it, it is the case where they, they have these wild personality shifts because the episode 
demands yeah. it of them and not because it's anything that anybody would actually do. You know, I'm going to go back to a very old idea that I had, you know, way back in, I think, the, the TOS and TNG uh, days, which is one of those things that really bothers me about television shows and, and, and yeah. you know, uh, uh, fiction in general is when people keep knowledge back or characters keep knowledge back only because the plot demands it of them. And that if they'd actually just said, hey, you know what? I don't want to go to the zoo because I'm scared of bears or whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, like that would be, you know, and then you wouldn't have this whole elaborate plot about how someone is mad because their, you know, husband won't go to the zoo, right? Like, it's just, it, it, it it's, a, it's an artificial construction that is extremely yeah. lazy. And this is exactly what this episode is. You're right. Like, it tries to hand wave it away with the idea that the Dreyans are, I don't know, space Amish and have stopped using technology, although they still use spaceships. So, okay, whatever. I don't know when exactly they stopped. Maybe they used to have, like, you know, robots walking around everywhere or something. Well, I, I mean, like, know. you know, the Amish will have cars and will have telephones and stuff like that. It, you know, no, they, they won't. Yeah, they do. There are It's extraordinarily limited, and usually as a community they have decided to. Like, I'm talking about there is literally one telephone in the entire you know, village in order to use for extreme emergencies kind of a thing. Oh, yeah, like one telephone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess what, yeah, what I mean, is, yeah, so, you know, maybe this planet, yes, we have a very limited number of spaceships in order to take people from the planet and back in order to, you know, we, we have medical technology keeping people alive, things like that. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But it's all discussed and it's not just done for its own sake. I mean, that's kind of the implication I got. Well, it's this weird thing where, where again, the, the it's it's kind of a sloppiness and it's kind of a sloppiness of world building where the episode isn't really thinking about the full ramifications yeah. of, of how it's setting things up. Because this is a moon. This is not yeah. their planet. And if they're sending all of their old people to this planet to die, that's a lot of people to send. And like, <laughs> like it, and just, what about- it fundamentally doesn't scale. And what about people who die in accidents or of illnesses? Yeah, I mean, I guess the implication is that, you know, this is a ritual that that happens if you live a, a normal lifespan, right? Like, yeah. people die in accidents and whatever, and we, we mourn them, and, you know, their their religion says that they go off to hell, and that's not their—or they go off to purgatory because that's not their fault, right? Like, that, I, I could hand-wave that away. That's not yeah, something fair. I necessarily have a problem with. But I do think it is a problem to, to think about the idea that a race of isolationist— you know, almost xenophobic aliens that that have eschewed the use of high technology are going to be sending all of their old people to this well, moon to die. Like that doesn't make any sense. We also don't know how many of them are there. I mean, number one, we don't really see how many people were on the original shuttle. Let's pretend it was a hundred people that day, and every day a hundred people, and a very small. Uh, let's say this is a very small population on the planet, and but again, this is stuff that we are having to make up in order to make the. We're having to make up facts in order to fit. Uh, right, exactly. We have to justify this, and it doesn't. I, you know, I'm not really necessarily interested in justifying it. I just think it's sloppy storytelling. Yeah. And it's sloppy world building. Yeah. I don't know. Well, let's let's talk about uh, uh, Tuvok then, because yeah. I actually like I don't I think the children actors are fine. I think they do a fine job. I think Tuvok is interesting in this episode. And, you know, one of the things that I think is 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 most uh, uh, nice about this episode is that you do get to see what 
Tuvok as a father yeah. must be like and what Vulcans are like with their children because really the only other Vulcan we've ever seen that has had children has been Sarek and he was kind of a terrible father. Yeah, and we really only saw that one episode. Oh, yeah, we did actually see an episode with Sarek as uh, a father to a teenage Spock. But anyway, um, and interestingly enough, it looks like uh, there's going to be some relationship between Sarek and the protagonist of Star Trek Discovery. So oh. that's going to be interesting. Didn't the actor die? Yeah, but they recast him. <gasps> but, you know, if this was Star Wars, they would just use a CG version of him. <laughs> but I think that, yeah, like, it, it's interesting to me that, that the, I mean, that's one of the good things about the episode, I think, is that it does logically extrapolate out how Vulcans would raise their children. Yeah. And, yeah, of course, they'd be very logical and they wouldn't shield them from from badness in the world. And their their fairy tales and bedtime stories and you know, lullabies would be very logical and have a have a point yeah. to make. But at the same time, I mean, Tuvok is extraordinarily tender and loving in this. Like I said, you, I, 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 the more I see, I, I'm very glad that I was expecting Tuvok to be my favorite character going in. I really like the way he's played. And again, especially having seen, uh, episodes like uh crazy Tuvok, crazy emotive Tuvok, you know, and seeing the way he interacts with Janeway when he, you know, in his quarters and things like that. We, I, I at this point, am able to see kind of the full range of the re- the emotion that he's feeling, uh, that he's dealing with. And, and it, it uh, again, he is being so, he's basically being, you know, kindergarten teacher is what I'm picturing him in this episode. This is the, yeah. this is the, you know, he sings to them to sleep at one point, even though he has all of this work to do. That's, that's remarkably doting for him. And uh, it's very nice. I, I like that side of him. We've, again, we've known a little bit about Tuvok's children and the way he feels about his children, but there is a very different, you know, saying it and then seeing it is another, are two very different things. And especially the depth of how he is feeling in a way homesick in this episode. Yeah, because I think that one of the things that, that strikes me most about the the ways in which Tuvok tries to explain the Vulcan emotional experience to these old people, I guess, uh, is that. Where he, where he says he's trying to explain like how he like do you, but then they ask him like do you love your children and he yeah. says well it's not really you know they are a part of me they're they're part of my identity you know and that to me is like a very profound statement about how Vulcans actually approach their families and I think that almost saying saying that someone is a part of your identity I think yeah. is 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 much stronger than saying you love them. Um- it reminds me a lot of some of the things that Data has said about the way that he feels about people you know i i don't have friendships but there are people that i get very used to i mean again we came out of tng feeling that no data has extraordinarily strong emotions he doesn't quite have the understanding to express them or to feel them or he doesn't recognize what he's feeling but to say that data has no emotions to say that a vulcan has no emotions no they are extraordinarily strong um yeah but I think in this episode, it, it, it's interesting to me that that you know w- one of the things that I that I do find, uh, you know, really sort of interesting in terms of the Star Trek level about about Voyager is is the ways in which it is willing to extrapolate out and f- like really I think expand the 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 palette of the Vulcan culture and society yeah. in a way that I don't think any Star Trek show has really been. 
uh, comfortable yeah. doing. You know, certainly, I mean, TNG stayed away from Vulcans for good reason. Uh, DS9 really never did much with Vulcans. And this is the first time that a Star Trek show since the original series has once again had a Vulcan main cast member. And, you know, that, of course, was because of the outsized reputation and, and, and presence that, that Spock has on the franchise. And they were, frankly, scared of doing it for a long time. And I, I think that was probably the right choice. But you know they're they're ready for they're ready to do it in Star Trek Voyager and i think that you know whether or not you like the revelation in this episode that vulcans sort of don't feel emotion but they're detached from it so they don't feel it but they experience it or something you know on the one hand you could say well that doesn't make a whole lot of sense but that is kind of rooted in a in yeah. a that is rooted in a real i think you know, human practice about sort of stoicism or, 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 you know, meditation and sort of distancing yeah. yourself from your emotions a little bit and, and not, you know, experiencing an emotion, but not, be, you know, not having to act on it, you know, things like that. It's an interpretation of Vulcanism that is a little more, I think, informed by things such as Zen Buddhism and stuff. Um, but yeah, Tuvok is very, Tuvok's character has been a way to explore all of these ideas about Vulcan meditation and spiritual practice and and what exactly the discipline involves. Um, and Spock had a little bit about it, but this is slightly more mechanical in ways that I I think are interesting. And again, the, the they a time like the Pon Far, yes, we understand is this moment of extraordinary emotion and aggression and. Certainly, a Vulcan can be influenced by an outside, a virus, or something in order to, and, and and that stuff is unleashed. But Tuvok almost makes it clear how much this stuff is there all the time. Um, Tuvok does always have these extremes of emotion, no matter what. But he is extor- he is disciplining and controlling himself all the time, even when he is a little bit relaxed, just because of how dangerous it is. I mean, the whole business with him training Kess is a was a externalization of that if kes doesn't discipline her stuff she's going to set everything on fire uh right. tuvok is has that capability we saw how he was when he mind melted with brad dorif and again all this stuff i think exists there and can be brought out and can come out unless he is performing all of these meditations and it's i can see why vulcans would remain so devoted to this kind of clarity, I mean, uh, you know, having dealt with some anger issues in my own life, the feeling of calmness is so much better, and so you can see why one would get devotion to a, essentially a spiritual practice of logic and meditation when one has this in them all the time. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, and, you know, the other the other thing about it, of course, that, that I find interesting is, you know, Tuvok talks about the Katra in this episode, and and they ask yeah. him, you know, the the children, old people, whatever you want to call them, uh, asks him if he believes that, and and he says, well, you know, I did, but but I've I've had doubts because I think that there's more to. Interestingly enough, he says, I think there's more to life than what science can tell us. Yeah, which is a weird thing to say about the Katra, but. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we know that the Katra is real because that's yes. how Spock was able to come back, uh, you know, in Star Trek three and Tuvok doubting it, I think is a very interesting character choice. And I think tells us something about the ways in which Tuvok approaches the world. I mean, in a way, I think this discussion of what the Katra is and, and that understanding, I mean, he's talking about it specifically as they are talking about. Uh, essentially their concept of a soul. And 
Katra has been understood to be a soul, but um, I mean, I'm thinking from a Doug Hofstadter kind of view of consciousness as a process, right? As a series of, you know, you get a computer that will have data that refers to itself. Anything can be ultimately broken down to ones and zeros kind of a thing. And it may be possible that a Katra is that kind of ones and zeros data version of a person's consciousness. And that can be somehow transferred into, and I, I, but I guess the thing is that this is kind this to me is where Tuvok's wonderings will have taken him. Uh, there is no, there is no definitive answer from a scientific point of view. Uh, You can't quantify a soul by its very definition. It is outside science. Um, even, and so the question is, does the soul exist that, science can never quantify and is something supernatural in a way is it something that science just has not figured out yet uh right uh, uh, again tuvok but tuvok doesn't know and i think that's right yeah well well tuvok i think tuvok is a is a is a vulcan who has never gone through colonar right like mm. you know the franchise never talks that much about colonar it was something that was in star trek the motion picture it was you know, sort of represented as this purging of all emotion and Tuvok having to continue to meditate and, and sort of really practice his control, you know, emotional control uh, really on a daily level is, is an indication that maybe Kolinar is not something that, that most Vulcans do. I mean, and- I, I, I have my problems with Kolinar. I, I don't think that I don't, th- I don't think that well, that's to- possible. I feel like it's maybe a symbolic ritual. It's, it's a, suggestion of having graduated to a point of having that mental discipline but it's not like that part of your brain that feels emotion is being removed i don't know Well, right exactly i think well i think if you think back to the episode meld with with uh um brad dora for example where it's revealed that there is a part of the vulcan brain that that is able to to suppress the emotions that that you know whatever colon r does or maybe it's just an indication that you've gotten control over that it, it yeah, Colinar is like more aspirational, right, than anything else, and it is a ritual, and it is going to be symbolic, of course, because rituals are symbolic by nature. Well, I mean, but, think but it, or think about it in the sense of like somebody becomes a priest and they you know make a vow of chastity, and you know they're sure. still capable of sexuality, but they have vowed to not use it. So yes, you know, somebody who goes through Colinar has a, is capable of emotions, but has attained such a level of discipline that they have shed them in a way. Yeah, or they don't. They don't need to meditate every day. They can meditate once a week or once a month, or you know, whatever. Right? It's not the case. And I also think you know, not not to talk about Spock too much, but I think that it makes sense for Spock to want to do Colinar because he was always very conflicted about yeah. his human side. Whereas you know, maybe Colinar is just not something that most Vulcans do because they don't feel it's necessary. Right? Like Tuvok just might feel that that he's okay with what he does. And you know, Tuvok is also a much older Vulcan as well. I mean, he's supposed hmm. to be like a hundred and hundred years old or something like that. So, you know, in terms of his life experiences, he is at a very different point in his life than we've seen really a lot of Vulcans before. And, you know, that's the other nice thing about this episode as well, I think, is that it, it, it indicates that the Tuvok is really sort of reliving his children's childhood yeah. in a way. Oh, yeah. They are all older now and, and he has not had to deal with children in probably, you know, who knows, 40, 50 years. Uh, so it, it's a nice thing for him to be able to, to handle that in a way. And it's almost like having grandchildren for him, maybe. Yeah, and I mean, this is making me wonder what, you know, how often Tuvok even saw his kids when he was in the Alpha Quadrant. If they are grown and they have lives of their own, I mean, he, he has dealt with essentially the empty nest thing. He is, 
you know, he's he's off doing his work. His wife's probably doing something. His kids are all doing something. The time they have family reunions is probably far between. So he, yeah, I mean, they all come together for Vulcan Thanksgiving or yeah. something. But yeah, but you know, they have their lives, and so that condition of uh, you know, I think one begins to realize that the condition of missing his children has certainly deepened now that he essentially will never see them again because of. Uh, the situation that Voyager is in, but that situation of missing that part of himself has been something fairly constant in his life. Yeah, well, and I and yeah, I think that's right. But I but I also think the other thing to keep in mind is that he, even if it does take Voyager seventy five years to get yeah. home, the the chances are Tuvok will still be alive. That's true. He'll be a very old man, but but you know, Sarek, for example, I mean, Vulcans live to be two hundred years old, so yeah, he could still be alive then, and his children will ostensibly still be alive. I mean, of course. He will be much older. They will be much older. They may have children of their own. Uh, but but he is one of the only characters on the show that perhaps is content yeah. with the journey because he knows that at the end of it, he will still see his children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he that's one of the things about the episode that's so interesting is that the children do say to him, well, you must miss them very much. And yeah. it's true. He he does. And I think that everybody on the ship misses their, their loved ones. But Tuvok is able to have some detachment from those feelings. Of course, A, because he's a Vulcan, but also B, because he is one of the only members of the Voyager crew that that could realistically still be alive and yeah. to see them again. Yeah, he needs all he needs is patience. And as we know, Vulcans are very good at patience. And I mean, I'm sure he's figured, well, you know, maybe, you know, we probably won't be out in 10 years, but logically we can find enough tech to shave off a good 20 or 30 years off of the journey kind of a thing i mean yeah even you know technology over those 75 years technology in the uh, in the delta quadrant will improve itself yeah yeah i think so well i think that'll do it for innocence if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of star trek voyager we just discussed please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com Please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash trekaboutshow, uh, where you can give us some financial support if you feel so inclined. Uh, $1, $2, $3 a month, even 5 or $10 a month is very much appreciated. And uh, the financial support will, in, will ensure that Trekabout comes to you for many years to come. It also supports our other podcast, Tuning In. We're releasing our episode on the X-Files Season 2 Endgame and Fearful Symmetry this week. So don't miss that, tuninginshow.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are on there. Truckabout Show is our username. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truckabout. Next week, we are going to be, well, we're actually getting towards the end of the season, believe it or not. Oh, good. Uh, we're going to be talking about The Thaw and Tuvix. <gasps> is that yeah. what I think it is? It might not be. Oh. Uh.